being a professional gives you superpowers. And those superpowers include reassuring patients, calming family members, getting help from those around you on scene. Very, very interesting to see what people came back with, both in regard to the good and the bad that they've seen in regard to professionalism or lack thereof. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Hello and welcome to this week's EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and we're in the middle of conference season, and the great speakers are out there. I've been over and listened to a few One of my favorites, of course, is the master of edutainment himself, Dr. Ray Barashansky. Dr. Ray, Ray, which I think is now your official title, welcome. Great to be here. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for joining me. And uh, Dr. Ray Ray, which I think is now your official title, first of all, we must tell everybody that uh, you have recently uh, defended your dissertation and you are now PhD. And uh, that is no mean small feat. So congratulations, I think, from all of us and all of your friends that know you have uh, have passed those congratulations on. But seriously, mate, well done. Thank you very much, Rob. I really appreciate it. One of the things I want to talk about is one of the sessions that you've been giving on the conference circuit. You've keynoted with this, and it's something that we need to hear and pay attention to. And that's professionalism in EMS. And again, as I keep telling people, you, you do this to a full room. And so let's have the story or your story, your session about professionalism and EMS? I mean, how do you even start that topic off? That's a great question, Rob. And while I was researching this presentation and really trying to pull my thoughts together the way that professional speakers try to do, I was thinking about various EMS calls that I had been on over the past years. And what really struck me was a particular point, a low point, a low point in my professionalism in EMS. And I debated whether I wanted to share that with the audience or not. And I went back and forth for a while and I decided to share it and I'll share it with you as well. I was working in Newark, New Jersey. It was probably two, maybe three in the morning. I think it was probably 1996, but it could have been 1995. And we got an assignment for a single room occupancy for an unknown medical. And Rob, you and your audience and I all know the great unknown medical call, which literally could be anything. And my partner and I are rolling down there. And like I said, it's two in the morning and we're pretty much at the Newark Elizabeth border. And we step, I step out of the truck. I don't even remember if my partner actually left the truck or not, which is a story in and of itself about professionalism. And there's a gentleman standing in the hallway of this SRO as I open the front door and he turns to me and I look at him and I'm very, very tired and it's been a long, long night and I've been working many, many nights and he goes, I have a pain in my testicles, except he didn't use the word testicles. And I was pretty burnt out and I looked right at him, took a deep breath and under my breath, but loud enough for him to hear, I said, well, I too have a pain in my testicles, 
I also didn't use the word testicles. He looked at me. I looked at him. I didn't help him to the truck. He appeared to be in some amount of pain. We got to the side door of the truck. I did not give him a hand up into the truck. Took him quite a while to get from the doorway into the truck and sit himself down. And he was clearly in pain. And I said, what's your name? And he gave it to me. And I said, okay, what's your social security number? And after he gave it to me, he looked at me and said, can I get another paramedic? And I looked at him from across the ambulance and I said, why? And he said, because it's pretty clear you don't care. And if nothing in life gives you a gut check, the fact that a gentleman at Newark, in Newark, New Jersey, at 2.15 in the morning, who was in enough pain to call for an ambulance, just told me that I didn't care about him. And I had a couple of different ways to go at that moment. And I decided to take the high road. I put down the clipboard, took a deep breath. I looked at him in the eye and said, let's start this over again. And we did. And it was not my best patient, patient interaction, but it certainly wasn't my worst. And it really made me take a moment and self-reflect on my professionalism and the way I was treating patients. And it caused me to change. And I share that with the audience so that the audience doesn't think that I'm getting up and I'm some ivory tower academic, or I'm somebody who's never been in the back of an ambulance before, or that I'm somebody who just speaks from this, from a theoretical perspective. I share that with the audience so that they can learn the lessons from me and hopefully not repeat them. That's very brave of you, Ray. And I certainly believe in lessons identified versus lessons learnt. We Sometimes things happen to us and we never truly learn from them. And so to take this forward into a session is a great start point. And so professionalism, how do you then develop professionalism in our career field, or in our industry, whatever you want to call us? And you know what were your key points? And what do you tell people about professionalism? So it's kind of interesting because there are speakers like you, like me, Chris Ceballero, I can think of Matt Strieger, who could get up and probably speak about professionalism all day. And one of the things that I decided to do before I actually delivered this particular presentation the first time was to survey my friends. So yes, I did that very strange thing that we all tend to do. I went on Facebook and I asked my Facebook friends, what were things that you've seen EMS providers do? that show a lack of professionalism? And what are things that you've seen EMS providers do that show true professionalism? And typically, once I tell the audience that I went to Facebook for my answers, they're laughing. And the audience, the answers on Facebook are always really interesting. And when I talk, asked my Facebook friends about a time when they've seen a lack of professionalism, I heard all of the answers that you would normally hear. Uh, the crew before you leaving a unit less than ready, um, seeing crews drive slowly or quickly to an assignment because it's near the end of your shift, not knowing your way to the hospital, not knowing how to use a particular piece of equipment. And then, as I identified with me, treating your patient badly because you think their complaint is BS or less than important or you're ready to go home. Two of the ones that really stuck out as well were the wearing of the uniform and then a lack of respect and common courtesy between agencies. 
Those came out as real professional pet peeves. And then when I asked about times when people have seen professionalism in action, I've seen, I heard things like watching people handle patients and families on difficult scenes. And I believe one of my friends actually wrote, being a professional gives you superpowers. And those superpowers include reassuring patients, calming family members, getting help from those around you on scene. And it was very, very interesting to see what people came back with, both in regard to the good and the bad that they've seen in regard to professionalism or lack thereof. And I try to bring those lessons over to the audience as well. And Rob, you and I have seen each other speak, and you know that I elicit a lot of input from my audiences. So typically, when I start bringing up these specific examples, people will yell other things that they've seen also in regard to professionalism or lack of professionalism. So I'm going to just cut you cut in there and talk about my own US mentor when I first arrived here, Chip Decker, always used to say or ask the rhetorical question, what is the thing that patients complain about most? Is it the gauge of the needle? No, it's that the medic was mean to me. And so there's you already hit one of the key major points, but you've laid out, you know, some of the issues that we are either guilty of, accused of, slack at. What are the answers? What do we need to do? I think it's concentrating on three distinct areas at a minimum. And again, as I said before, I don't want to come off like some ivory tower academic. I want people to know that this is the way that these three areas are the way I've tried to map out my career, both as an EMS provider, as an EMS supervisor, as a manager, and as an executive. And even when I toggle back and forth, for lack of a better term, between my EMS world's and my public health worlds, and that would be, first and foremost, looking like a professional. It doesn't matter what you do most of the time, but one of the things that does matter is how you look. If you're a career EMS provider, you know how you should be wearing your uniform. And if you're a volunteer EMS provider, and let's say you come from home or the field or a store, the first thing you probably want to tell a patient is, Hey, Jim, great to see you. I just walked out of the store or I just got off the tractor. That's why I look like this. So you want to look like a professional. Second, you want to communicate like a professional. We all have those moments where we want to blow our top. We all have those moments where we want to communicate in a less than professional manner. Don't do it. It may feel great to respond in a sarcastic, snarky manner to a nurse at an emergency department, but you're doing nothing to advance yourself, you're doing nothing to advance your patient, and you're doing nothing to advance that relationship if and when you do. And last, educate yourself like a professional. Everybody I know who is a professional is consistently educating themselves. Sometimes that's in an academic arena, sometimes it's in a non-academic arena, but every single one of us yourself included, Rob, and myself included, is consistently learning, consistently educating ourselves. So when I look at it, I look at those three areas in general, looking like a professional, communicating like a professional, and educating yourself like a professional. Those are excellent points. And if, if I may offer my own leadership philosophy, and which also aids 
professionalism, every supervisor I've ever promoted gets the Rob six points, Ray. And those six points are pride, integrity, learning, humor, service, and courage. And you touched on some of those, but uh, pride, be proud on yourself and your organization. Integrity, absolute, no question, doesn't need any further explanation. Learning, you've discovered learning. There's never a day where you shouldn't continue your learning. Humor, the ability to laugh at yourself and with others, not at others. Service, service to your organization, your country, your community is key. And courage, okay? Courage has two parts, physical courage, moral courage. And moral courage is the harder of the two to exercise. And that also links back to professionalism. So thank you for allowing me to segue into that because I think those are also points perhaps that uh, could be great takeaways. Anytime. And I, I just want to touch on one additional point, if it's okay. And that's this, that one of the biggest areas that I bring in later on in my presentation is what I call um, uh, EMS operations in the modern day EMS environment. And I briefly talk about every time you act as an EMS provider, your actions have the potential to be analyzed and then scrutinized in real time. And so one of the things I always ask my audience is look around, look at how many people here are on a phone or have a phone in their hands. Realize that YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even other programs are just a finger push away. And the things that you do are just a finger push away from being out there in the public and ask yourself, are you okay with that? And then are you acting as a professional and willing to defend those actions in the real time, modern day EMS operating environment? I think those are amazing words and don't do anything that you're not prepared to have on the front page of the newspaper or even on the 11 o'clock news. And uh, everybody is a reporter. Everybody has an opinion and everyone can now turn their video into their edit of the story. And it may not actually even be accurate, but they're watching and consistently because we're a billboard and people pay attention to us. And so even more reason, I think, Ray, to be professional. Total agreement. I totally agree. So let's just uh, take a moment to remind you all to follow us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music. Remember, we've uh, got our own podcast channel now. We broke away from our good friends at uh, Inside EMS. We're on separate channels. So I'm trying to build up a following. So make sure you like and subscribe. And please leave a rating and review on the platform that you're listening on. So just for a second, let's go over to a word from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, Visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Welcome back. And I am with Dr. Ray Barashansky, and uh, who everybody knows. And I, he doesn't really need an introduction. But of course, Ray, what are you up to these days? That's a great question, Rob. So after leaving my uh, position as the Deputy Secretary of Health for Pennsylvania, I really 
wanted to focus on completing the doctorate that you mentioned. But at the same time, I've actually been doing quite a bit of consulting with a few entities, both in public health and in emergency medical services. So I think that's really been an eye-opening experience being a consultant. And at the same time, it's really given me an opportunity to look at various initiatives that otherwise I really wouldn't have had the chance to look at and then really get my hands dirty as I work toward working out solutions for the organizations I work for. So for right now, it's finishing up that doctorate, which I just did, and consulting, and really, who knows what comes next, but I'm open. Well, there you go. Ray is open, and if you need to get hold of him, we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. Another session that you deliver, Ray, is a subject very, very dear to my heart, in fact, dear to our hearts, and it's about speaking, writing, and publishing. And uh, a former editor that we both know will tell you that of the you know 100 people that say they're going to do something, maybe only two of them will. So where do we start if we want to write and publish in particularly our industry? That's a great question. And I am consistently confronted, and so are you, by a ton of people out there who have great ideas and they're really talented. And then all of a sudden there's this drop off. People come to you with a great idea. They are intelligent or talented and then nothing. And so when I was putting together this presentation many, many years ago, and it's been modified many times since, that was kind of the motivating factor right there, that there are people out there, we hear from them, you and I, they want to write in EMS or they want to speak in EMS, and they just don't know how to get over that hurdle. And typically what I tell people is first things first is you need to look at the publication that you're looking to write for. And whether that's an online publication or a print publication, get out there and read that magazine, read that journal. Also, when you pick your topic, and it could be anything, it could be clinical, which is ALS, BLS, or even some mixture. It could be about management or leadership. It could be operational or even about an educational initiative. Make sure it's something timely and important. It's something that people want to read. Then, and then only, you also have to have a passion for it. So whatever that topic is, it should be something that really sparks your fire. That could be something that you learned about while you were riding on the truck or reading another journal. It could be something that was assigned to you by a supervisor, or it could be a QI project, or even something that you picked up in college or graduate school. Look at the journals, look at the topic, pick that journal, and then put together an outline. What I've said in my presentation, which Rob, I know you sat through at this past uh, EMS World Expo, and I really appreciate you being there that that morning. I had to get that in. Um, when you outline it, plan it like you would plan a construction project. Make sure you go to the journal page where they have information for authors, and make sure that you really focus that topic. Keep it organized based on that outline. And always remember certain rules, like your first paragraph will summarize what the article is going to convey. And the last paragraph will summarize the article from a different perspective, and then maybe give future directions. I've seen a lot of people put down work on paper. And what I always tell people is send it to at least two people for their review before you send it to an editor. You want people who are going to be brutally honest I have to be frank with you. I've sent many papers to Tracy Losker. Rob, I think I've even sent papers to you because I want articles 
I want people to review my articles who are going to be honest with me. And I think that's a point just to jump in and, and talk about the well, – actually, just to backtrack a second, in the world of digital media now, in everything is online. Therefore, there is an opportunity for you out there to have your thoughts and your work published. Obviously, listening to what Ray's told us so far about the process, that's the absolute key bit. The bit that you're at now, Ray, of sending it out to your friends is the precursor and I was brutally honest with you, and you're brutally honest with me, and I appreciate that, is the precursor to sending it in to the editor. Mm -hmm. Now, what's the editor going to do if you're fresh out the gate, brand new? What should you be prepared for, and why? That's a great question, and you should be prepared for, I hate saying it, but please, please, please be prepared for a rejection. It's going to happen. And one of the things that I touch on you could get it accepted right out of the gate, and that would be amazing for you as a writer, as a new writer. <clears throat> but one of the things I speak about during my presentation, the one that you were there for, Rob, is the potential for you to get rejected as well. And that happens to all of us. And typically what I tell new writers to do, first of all, I tell them, remember two rules. First, you're the EMS expert, but they, the editor, are the writing expert. And also, it's their publication. And then rule number two is see rule number one. So if it's accepted, great. Follow the editor's instructions and address any concerns, even if they're minor, and then move forward. But if it's rejected and it's going to happen, this could be because of a lack of originality, a lack of focus or a message, the way it was written, or even the references. No joke. So you want to write back and say, is there any possible potential for me to get this resubmitted? It's going to happen. You're going to get certain things rejected when you're looking to write. And the answer is, is after I've made modifications, can I resubmit for publication? And I know we've both been there and I've certainly had that constructive comment and it's made me better. I, I go back to my for first life as a student of the Army Staff College, I used to get more read in response than I wrote in, in the first place. So I sort of got used to it, but it's going to improve you and your style. At this stage also, I just need to give you two top tips out there. One is please spell check. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And also there's a program called Grammarly. And yes. what that does is it actually looks at your sort of critically appraises your work in the same way an editor was in terms of composition. And it's actually really useful. And I never send anything out, right, unless I've put it through Grammarly first. I'm so happy you mentioned it since I literally used Grammarly for my dissertation. And that's a great suggestion. Even if you don't have that, if you're using Microsoft Word, there is even an editor function that will help you with the punctuation, the spelling, and the, 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 the conscience of the piece as well. So, you know, this isn't an exam condition paper you're writing. Mm -hmm. Use all the tools and tricks that you can to get it ready to get to the editor stage. And so what happens next, Ray? Then you're going to get published. I, I think that um, one of the things that I've seen at every single, uh, every single time I give this uh, presentation is inevitably people walk up to me with ideas afterwards. And I do quote a certain uh, editor, past and present, that you and I know. Um, you can name her because she's in the Lexapol stable, right? I understand that. So 
Uh, many, many years ago, I was at EMS World Expo with Nancy Perry. And at the time, Nancy was the editor of EMS Magazine. And a young lady walked up to Nancy and she had this fantastic idea. And I could tell you what the idea was, Rob. It was a series of short 1,000 word pieces on specialty care transport and all the specifics that needed to go into it. And whether that was about medical direction or specific QI initiatives or even educational initiatives for current paramedics, it was a great idea. Please remember this was probably over a dozen years ago. And Nancy gave this young lady amazing advice about how to move forward with this idea. And as she walked away, I turned to Nancy and said, that was great. Like, you know, that's going to be a a game changer. That's going to be a home run in next year's EMS World Magazine. And Nancy said, "Mm, you have to realize nine out of 10 times that when people walk up to me with an idea, I'll never hear from them again. It will never go anywhere. And I remember looking at her and I was like, is it that bad? And she goes, no, I'll hear from a few. And then when I give them the requirements, they'll drop off. Or I'll hear from a few. And then when I get back to them, I don't hear anything further or even get an outline from some. And she's like, but inevitably, it's usually about 90% that that I don't hear back from. And the way I end my presentation, Rob, the one that you were in is I say to people, are you in the 90% or in the 10%? Because everybody who's sitting there Everybody who wants me to speak about writing an EMS or speaking an EMS, they're there because they have an idea. They're there because they're motivated. The question is, what are they going to do with it? And so we want you to be in the 10%. And everything you've heard so far, you know, don't take this as a negative people, because what we want is more people to write, contribute, because you've all got a story to tell. What we want to do is to help you hone that story into something that can be published. And so that's the aim of this particular part of the chat. But let's take this a stage further, Ray. Mm -hmm. And, you know, once you've written a few articles, you might want to then go and talk about it and get on the circuit, (laughs) as they say. And so how do you parlay what you've written then into the speaking circuit? Again, a great question. And I'll start it with the same way I answered about the writing. So you want to pick a topic. Like I said, it could be clinical, managerial slash leadership, operations or education. And, you know, present what you know, do your homework, document your sources. And then there's that area that I call answering the call, which is, it's kind of strange, Rob, because there's almost a bit of a paradox Conferences want to engage experienced speakers, but at the same time, you can't really get experience like that without speaking at a conference. And so I do always tell people, remember the first few times out, you might be speaking at a smaller conference and people will see you speak. They'll be impressed by what they see, and then they'll want to bring you in at their, say, medium-sized conference. Also, you want to rely on people who are on the circuit, as you said, for advice, for ideas. I consistently am hearing from people who say, help me get more business. Help me, you know, reach out to other conferences. When you see a conference that's looking for presenters, I also have a few rules on that. And Rob, I know you and I have spoken about this. And one of them is follow the rules for submitting. Conferences When they ask you for things such as learning objectives, when they ask you for things for detailed uh, presentation details, that's what they want. They want to be able to pick 
from the best that they see. And as I learned from Rob Lawrence, you also don't want to use what I call the shotgun approach. So when you're applying to a conference and you throw in 30 to 35 different topic ideas, most will look and go, that's not what we wanted to see. They want your three, five, or seven best. Also, they want to know that you're a subject matter expert in those areas. I'm going to come up for air for a moment and allow you to jump in, Rob. Well, I just needed to qualify what you said that I don't <laughs> commend that you put 30 subjects in. I'm exactly. actually in the camp that it shows your inexperience, actually, in the topic that you wish to deliver. Um, and also, I've been, like you have, Ray, I've been the person that selects speakers at conferences. Mm-hmm. And in the section where it says bio, if you dare put the words Google me, it's going <laughs> to be an eh, eh. <laughs> Exact. Really well said. Um, and so I, I do always, um, I, I do always also counsel audiences um, that when you actually do get chosen, um, when you are at conferences, speak from experience. Also, review your content before. And yes, I say this a lot: practice, practice, practice. I not only have heard horror stories, I've seen horror stories of speakers finishing a half an hour before they were supposed to. Um, And no conference wants to bring somebody back who gives them 23 minutes of content when they were supposed to be speaking for an hour or an hour and 15 minutes. And what you want to do is practice as much as possible and make sure that you can run through your presentation honestly, in a, in the most professional way possible. And Rob mentioned something before about edutainment and it's very, it's an interesting area. And it's one I actually like to discuss, which is levity can make the message easier to convey, but it always needs to be appropriate. And so if you ever have a question that says, I wonder if this joke could be taken the wrong way, the answer is yes. And take it out because you want to make sure that your audience is engaged in a positive way. And you want to make sure that you give over to the audience everything you want to in regard to the content without turning them off in regard to your, let's say, levity. As we say in England, it's the P rule, Ray. Prior preparation and planning prevents pathetically (laughs) poor performance. So use the P rule. I really love that. I, I will say that If I had to like hammer home one additional point, it would be always read the reviews um, on um, giving you my personal experience. This past Friday evening, I was driving from the Connecticut EMS Pro Expo conference to the Vital Signs conference. I stopped for gas. And as somebody with ADD does, I quickly glanced at my phone to look at my emails and I had received two emails from EMS World Expo and they were both evaluations of two of my um, presentations there. No, I didn't take that moment on the Connecticut, New York border to look at my uh, evaluations, but you can guarantee later that evening when I got to my hotel room and I made myself a cup of tea, yes, I did, um, I did go take a look at my presentation uh, my presentation evaluations, because I want to see how I've succeeded and how I've failed my audiences. And if I've failed them, what I'm going to need to do to make sure that doesn't happen again. 
like you, I just had my reviews and I've done exactly the same thing because there's never an op- there's never a time where you don't need to improve, tweak, or adjust it for the audience that uh, of today. Sometimes we prepare these things a few months ago and things change. So there is there is that reality that goes with it. Mm-hmm. But that it also comes back to what we're talking about on the writing side. There is inevitably, if you apply for some conferences, there will be more applicants than there are slots. Mm-hmm. And so how does somebody treat the fact that you didn't get picked up for X, Y, or Z state, national, local conference? I would counsel people and give them some advice to go to an experienced speaker they know and run their material or at least their presentation proposal by them. Also, you want to go back and look at the conference presenters who did get who did get picked and think to yourself, what do they all have in common? Do they have more experience at, say, state and national conferences? Did they come up with better ideas or did they just present those ideas in a better way? But I will also reflect back on Nancy Perry And I will say that I had written for EMS Magazine probably at that point for two to three years consistently. Um, And I'll say that when I put in for EMS World Expo, I had spoken at several state EMS conferences before, but I don't know if I was ready for a national audience or not. But Nancy took a chance on several new speakers that year and gave them an opportunity to present at EMS World Expo. I'll also take a moment to highlight an amazing program out there, Rob, and I know you're aware of it, and it's the EMS World Expo Stand and Deliver, which is run by Kevin Colopy and Sean Kivlahan. And Rob, I know you've been a judge in the past, as have I, of this program. And what this program does is it allows newer speakers to speak in front of more experienced speakers to A, hone their craft, and B, give them a shot at speaking at the next year's EMS World Expo, which I believe only goes to the one winner. But at the same time, constructive criticism is given to these newer speakers so that they can ready themselves to make the jump from, say, a regional or state level to a national level. I think programs like that are amazing. Actually, I can't go on enough about Stand and Deliver. And to be frank with you, that's what we need. We need every conference, whether it's a state conference or a national conference, to be on the lookout for those new speakers, because that's the future. Do you know what? You've made an excellent point there. If you are at a local conference, have your own version. Brilliant Mm -hmm. idea, Ray. I was actually in on this year's final, and obviously some of the quote-unquote heats as well, (laughs) and the feedback from the judges and and the judges in my particular sections where of course you mentioned tracy loscar um i've also had uh, kevin and sean on the podcast so if you're on the soundcloud just scroll back through the catalog of this podcast and you'll hear kevin and sean talking about the setup for stand and deliver but even from the heats to the final the advice given enhanced those sessions and those presentations immensely and just to watch the speaker grow from one session to the next was impressive our winner this year was outstanding and she's going to get the opening session one of the opening sessions at next year's expo and uh, if you know who ken bouvier is that stand by to move over ken someone's coming up behind you <laughs> and entertain edutainment extraordinaire so actually you want to be on the lookout too and so so i'm looking forward to introducing our stand and deliver winner a little bit later in the year I was actually in that new speaker's, um, how did you refer to it again, Rob? The Heats, which was exceptional. Uh, I was in her presentation and she was exceptional. 
She gave over a new variation of a clinical intervention. She gave it over in an educational manner. She gave it over intelligently, humorously, in a non-condescending way. And she was dropping so many great one-liners that I think the judge's laughter was actually the only thing slowing her down. And that's what, as we look at new speakers, we're looking at people who can, A, bring good clinical information, and B, connect with audiences. And that's what it's all about. And so when we look at new speakers, and we look at stand and deliver, and we're looking at people coming on into our uh, world of speaking, think about the next 10, 15 years. The winner of this year's Stand and Deliver will be that person. Right. And indeed, you know, me and you have to find the new me and you. And so this is a really important topic. And by the way, you know, this wasn't comedy club, mm-hmm. but actually, again, to raise point about edutainment, I can remember everything that person said because of the delivery. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well said. That's professionalism. It's writing and it's speaking. And now let's talk about communication. Ray, how can we get in touch with you and uh, keep up with you? And also if people need you to consult for them. Oh, thanks, Rob. Um, So I'm reachable at rbarashansky. And as I usually, Rob and I joke and say, it's Barashansky. Common common spelling. spelling. (laughs) So I'm available at rbarashansky at gmail.com. Or you can just Google Ray Barashansky and you'll find out almost anything you need to know. But to be frank with you, anyone who wants to reach out, whether it's in regard to advice, whether it's in regard to consulting, or really whether it's just in regard to having a sounding board as you look to become a better EMS provider, supervisor, manager, or any or speaker, please reach out. I'm always willing to speak to people, always willing to mentor people, and I love it when people reach out and I have an opportunity to help them meet their goals. Excellent. Thank you for that sincerity. Now, what did I tell you about when people say Google me? Ah, okay. Do you want to take that one back? Should we take that back? No, <laughs> that's good. We can, you, you can officially Google Ray. There's a lot to find out. Um, <laughs> just to kind of wrap things up. So if you want to be particularly a writer, listen to the words that Ray has given us today. Our editor, Kerry Hatt, is always looking for new contributors. And obviously, both Ray, I, any of the team that actually regularly produce content for particularly EMS1 will be delighted to talk to anybody to give you some top tips to help you along and to get you published. Because again, publishing can lead to speaking and you need to be the new me, Ray, and everybody else. So that's the story today. Ray, thank you so much for joining me. Rob, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at UKRobL1 or over on LinkedIn. Okay, Ray, you can even Google me if you want to. (laughs) But for the moment, I was talking to Dr. Ray Barashansky. I've been Rob Lawrence. This was EMS One Stop. And until next time, bye for now.